The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This is the Read to Lead podcast, episode 432. It is the combination of how we put together the things that exist and that address solutions for the world that we live that are original. So when people crack their heads thinking, oh, I can't do this type of business because it's been done. Well, certainly because everything exists, what has not been done is the way you are going to put it together. There has never been a more crucial time than now to develop your creativity and your ability to innovate. Coming up with original ideas of value is today's most precious resource. And contrary to a myth that has been unfairly perpetuated, creativity can be taught and learned. Hi there, I'm Jeff Brown, and this is the Read to Lead podcast, the podcast that's dedicated to your personal and professional growth. Each week here on the show, I'm joined by another business book author to chat about their book and their unique insights on topics like personal and professional development, leadership, productivity, career, business, marketing, sales, entrepreneurship, and a lot more. Why? Well, in part because I believe that if you want to achieve true success in your business and in your life, that intentional and consistent reading is a must. Today's guest is Maria Brito, author of How Creativity Rules the World, The Art and Business of Turning Your Ideas into Gold. I plan to chat with Maria about the rebirth of creativity that she writes about in her new book, many of the myths often associated with creativity, how to use silence as an incubator for your creativity, and a lot more. You know, when it comes to all these books we read, it doesn't much matter unless we put what we're learning into action. And one of the best ways to make sure that happens is by taking not only effective notes, but notes that you know you're going to refer back to later. And when you do, you'll actually be able to find them later. That and more are all topics I cover in my Note Making Mastery Cohort, an online class that I started back in May that has been incredibly well received. In fact, the first iteration of the cohort has just wrapped up, and we've already got a dozen or more people signed up for cohort number two happening in August. Here's what Kathy from our first cohort said about her experience. Without hesitation, I would recommend this to anyone who wants to improve their workflow for taking notes and wants to ensure they use their notes to their fullest capacity. This journey has completely changed how I think about notes. She goes on to say, this is not a one-size-fits-all course. Jeff is with you every step of the way to expertly walk you through self-reflection on your note-taking style, guide you to reframe your thinking about notes, demonstrate various tools, and make extremely helpful suggestions as you navigate your path. The sessions are very interactive, and you learn so much from other cohort members. And finally, she says, I was famous for taking tons of notes, but never doing anything with them. My notes now have so much more potential to benefit me and others with whom I share the information. If you want to take your notes to the next level, this is the place to do it. Wow. Kathy, thank you so much 
for that awesome endorsement. If you'd like to be a part of the next Note Making Mastery cohort, the best thing to do is get on the notifications list right now. The way you do that is go to readtoleadpodcast.com slash list. That's readtoleadpodcast.com slash list. Put in your first name and your email address, and you'll be among the first notified when the next cohort is available. And again, by the way, there is still just a little bit of time to get in on cohort number two, which takes place during August. 12 spots taken, a few left, but you can get in right now. Start by putting your name on that list, readtoleadpodcast.com slash list. Maria Brito is a New York-based contemporary art advisor, author, and curator. She is a Harvard Law School graduate, originally from Venezuela, and she's written for Entrepreneur, The Huffington Post, L, Artnet, Forbes, Cultured Goop, and more. Maria has taught variations of her creativity class in companies for several years and has also designed and launched Jumpstart, a comprehensive online program on creativity for artists, freelancers, managers, and entrepreneurs. Her brand new book is called How Creativity Rules the World, The Art and Business of Turning Your Ideas into Gold. Well, Maria, uh, welcome to the podcast. I am uh, enjoying your book a great deal, and I'm excited today to uh, get to talk to you about it. Thank you, Jeff. It's my pleasure to be here. I really am a fan of what you do. As I was reading uh, the first chapter of your book, I was, I was very intrigued to learn a little bit about your your history and your family. Tell me about the dedication of your book and this person called Enrique. Well, that was my maternal grandfather. I was born and raised in Venezuela, and I moved to the States to go to Harvard Law School. As a child, I was, you know, a performer, a singer, an artist, and my grandfather was a person who stimulated and he was interested in full expression of everybody, his and others. (laughs) He was a Renaissance man who loved to paint during the weekend, so he would put an easel. He loved to read. He had many interests, and my parents were not interested in me being an artist or a singer or a dancer or the things that I did want to do. I ended up doing something that I didn't want to do because I convinced myself of the story that my parents told me that Mm. I needed to have a dependable career and I needed to find something that was stable, that would pay for my bills and that would feel comfortable. I guess that was the intent. The the level of rebellion for me was not that I, oh, let me go just go against them in this sense, because I I couldn't do it. Honestly, I had a very different environment. Mm. It was not that if I would have been growing up in the United States, I say, well, the hell with these people. I'm going to go and wait tables and with that money, you know, but that was not my reality. So it was that the the context, the environment, the place and the time were very different. But things happened for a reason. And that's why one of the reasons I wrote the book is because if I could reinvent myself and do what I'm doing right now. And it it really took a long time for me to, to actually come clean with all my ideas and say, I really can't stay in a law firm after nine years of practicing corporate law in different places. If I could do that, I think people can do similar things. I'm not really saying everybody has to quit their jobs because that's not the purpose of the book either, but it is finding the best 
ideas that you have inside of you and bringing them out to the world in a in an interesting way and hopefully also profit from them because I do think that if you have great ideas and you know or find people who can help you out execute them, you should get paid for them. You struggled with something I think a, a lot of people struggle with who are working well-paying jobs. You know, you were making some good money, right? As, as a I was. lawyer. Mm-hmm. I would imagine that decision to make a shift to do more of what you do now was that much tougher because of that. Obviously, it was because and, and you, you end up having like a lot of guilt and push and pull because mm-hmm. it is a stable career and it is a high paying job and it is a very beautiful gilded cage, right? Because mm-hmm. It is the type of thing where as the more you grow in the structure, it almost feels like the more ingrained you are in a system that becomes a lifestyle where people work endless hours. They, it, for some reason, everything happens at night. It doesn't happen during the day. And it is, again, it's stable. Big law firms in New York City have a standardized salaries and almost a standardized bonuses too, because it's a lot of competition to get the people working for them because they they own you in the end, right? And there is really nothing fundamentally wrong with corporate America or, or being a corporate lawyer. It is just not necessarily something that nurtures people's souls, imaginations. It takes an enormous amount of work to put those systems together and to get these places working like well-oiled machines, which is what they are. To do that, you have to create an army of people who work pretty much like the military, right? But but within those structures, right? You may shift the name. It may be Coca-Cola or it may be XYZ Law Firm. The struggle that I had basically was, you know, I'm going to have to start from scratch. And it, it was not that I woke up and say, I'm going to quit this job tomorrow, because mm-hmm. it, it was a long process of me trying to figure out what was going to be my next steps. And obviously, I did consider what if I find an employer in a different industry in the arts, for example, but I was so overqualified for certain things. And for others, I was not qualified at all, because I just did not have have a background. And so people were not going to tell me, come and take this position after you've been a lawyer for nine years at the very, very bottom of like that, (laughs) you know, like people don't really want to do that to you either sometimes, right? right? They say, well, I just can't give you like the level, the entry level because you can't be there, right? right? So after that, I said, you know, let me just really draft. This was about a year in this thinking. Let me just draft a business plan that is going to be like two pages. The help that I need, because I realized too that a lot of people just really didn't need to have physical spaces. You know, like that, I was way ahead of like what happens now, right? Like, I mean, I, I to be an art advisor and a consultant, I, I just didn't need to have an office, which, you know, in New York City, having to pay a rent, it really kills you right now. And at that time, it didn't exist, all this co-working spaces. This was 13, 14 years ago. So what I really need is a killer website. What I really need is a killer personality and to show up with all, my, all that I have and shake as many hands and put my best face and learn like crazy the ins and outs of what I want to do, even though I had so much background 
practical background of being in in galleries and knowing people mm. and knowing artists and this and that, I still needed to do two things, learn how to run a business because I hadn't done that before and learn the business of what I wanted to do. So it was a lot of work and commitment. When I look back, right, if I knew all the things that were going it's just you just this is the kind of thing that you just have to do. Right. That you just have to take this plunge because it doesn't really matter what I tell you. It doesn't matter what you tell people. Running a business is a very personal experience and it's, it's full of things, you know, amazing things and also difficult things. And being an entrepreneur is always exciting, but it's also filled with issues and problems. But you you hit the, the nail with that question because I know that a lot of people are trapped in these jobs and they've gotten disappointed with time. I think I, there is a different generation now, right? Like I have two Gen Z boys and they think very differently. And I have many millennial friends and they mm. think very differently, right? But I... I think slightly older people like me, I'm 46, and I come from that generation of really hardworking people who couldn't see themselves differently. I think the, the disappointment comes when you realize that the system is not necessarily, is not flexible, it doesn't appreciate, you know, creative thinking. And, but, but things are changing, as you may know, to that creativity according to LinkedIn, is the number one skill that employers are looking for. And I think that they understand what they need. And this is not everywhere. I can't generalize, right? But I think that bosses and CEOs and and people who hire and are responsible for divisions and managers understand that they need to have people who are intrapreneurs, people who can solve problems, people who can easily become generalists. I think that the, the, the specialist is dying. And I obviously say this with a little bit of latitude because you want doctors who are the best at what they do, right? Like you want a doctor who is the absolute best specialist in finding that specific type of cancer cure. You want scientists who do that type of thing. But we are in a world that became extraordinarily complex because of technology, because of the shifts that happen so fast, societal shifts, political shifts, pandemics, wars, you name it, that requires a lot of flexibility because you do need creative solutions for the world today. And that is why I'm so invested in this topic. And that's why I think that people, regardless of what they do and regardless of their background, should open up themselves to learn more about how artists think and how artists work and how artists operate because it gives a very important avenue into this idea of being nimble, of creating things from scratch the same way inventors and entrepreneurs who create huge businesses do. If you keep reading the same literature and you're not finding the solutions, it means that you need to open up yourself to see things from a different perspective. That's my that's my objective with this book. One of the things that uh, I appreciated about the book is addressing head on sort of some of the creativity myths. So many people, and you've experienced this firsthand, have these assumptions about what creativity means still. Um, and I would just love to hit on some of these, uh, starting with only some are born creative. What would you what would you say to that? 
you know, it's the, the word creativity has gotten all sorts of different meanings and interpretations. A lot of people match it immediately with artistic talent. And it's not the same thing because if you, let's say, have the talent of Michelangelo and you can sculpt the David like he did, that's an immense talent. He was also a very creative man. But if you're a guy like Elon Musk, you're extraordinarily creative too. And he's not sculpting anything. Right. <laughs> Other than public opinion, if you yeah. might, if you may think. Right. Or you think about Steve Jobs, who gotten deep into an industry, although he, you know, he dropped out of college. Steve couldn't code and he was not a designer per se. Right. Mm -hmm. This was a visionary with a lot of creative thinking. And what Steve did was connecting dots at the right time. Not only was he in the future, but he was also very clear about the present, right? Mm -hmm. Like he's like, this is what we need. And so only some are born creative is a myth because there are, and I wanted to debunk all these things with some science and some studies that have been conducted. And then the best one that I could find was Dr. George Land, who was hired by NASA. And NASA asked him, can you please test all my people? I need my best engineers and my best mathematicians mm. solving and like but but I want the most creative ones they say I have I have the best people because NASA really employs you know incredible people but I want the most most creative so don't measure how good they are with their intelligence because they all are just measure the ones that are most creative and Dr. Land developed a test and then he said I'm going to do and, and it went out so well that he's like oh I love this let me test kids so he 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 chose a group of of kids ages four or five and uh, he followed those kids throughout their lives and so when those kids were four or five the test was about finding the most creative solutions to the problems and 98 percent of the kids scored at the highest level of creativity 98 percent of those kids and we're like I think it was about 400 children and then when they test them again at 10, well, 75% of the kids, right? Then when they test them again at the age of 15, it was half. And when the kids were 30, just 2% of them scored at the highest level of creativity. And so what that tells you is that there are factors. There's nothing wrong about formal education either. I, I just want to I disclaim myself these things because I'm not advocating for people not going to school or people just being homeschooled. I mean, education is important, but it's rigid if you think about how, because it's a system. Systems imply things are done in a certain way. So formal education takes a lot of creative thinking out of kids, right? There is also media where you form criteria depending on where you live. And so media says, this is it. This is the info, right? And so this is how you do things. And then people start, these things calcify, solidify, right? They become like totems. And uh, and that that really hurts people's creative thinking. But it's not that we're not born with it. And, and hand in hand with that goes, is this something is genetic? Is there a gene? Is there a Michael Jackson gene? Is there a, you know, Steve Jobs gene? Is that no, there is no such a thing. There's got to be a, at least 20 studies that try to prove that the gene, if there is a, a DNA component. And they all sort of failed. It's very inconclusive. They tested twins and one was super creative and the other one wasn't. The scientists and researchers and neuroscientists who came close to saying something, they said, 
there is no gene, basically. It is an amalgamation. Being creative is an amalgamation of skills that include curiosity, risk-taking, uh, vision, knowing who you are too, right? I mean, in, 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 in being intent in sharing your gifts with the world. And I think those things are available to everybody. I mean, being curious, I know it can be hard for some, but it's just going through the rabbit hole sometimes of asking one more question, right? And opening up another Wikipedia page if need it be, or going and asking why you believe this. And, uh, you know, is, is there a contrary opinion? Is, is there an alternative solution to this problem? Who says this can't be done this way? So the mythology around creativity, part of me <laughs> feels that who, who gave us this kind of push, pushing creativity so far away from humans wanted to to impose on us some sort of, um, again, like a system. And I, I think that's not fair. You know, there's uh, something you address in chapter two, which covers the rebirth of creativity, a, a bit of history there, which I, I really enjoyed reading about. I had never read in a book before. Uh, and through this period, you point out, comes the understanding that, that, that true originality isn't really possible. Can, can you expound on that? Yes. Well, you know, humans, right? We've been around for so long. And uh, from getting clothed to getting fired to, you know, is it is an evolution of things that we needed them, right? I mean, we needed things, uh, construction, roads, so on and so forth. It is the combination of how we put together the things that exist and that address solutions for the world that we live that are original. So when people crack their heads thinking, oh, I can't do this type of business because it's been done. Mm -hmm. Well, certainly because everything exists, what has not been done is the <laughs> way you are going to put it together. How are you going to give it a spin? How you're going to incorporate the experiences that you have had throughout your life and your upbringing and the interesting things that you have seen traveling and the books you've read. And so, yeah, there is nothing original, 100% creative artists. You know, some of them struggle with this idea because it's, 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 it's a fake standard that will never be achieved, right? I mean, things come from somewhere else. And what we do is reconnect, recombine, pay attention. And it's the same thing when we talk about businesses, right? I mean, and, and going back to Apple and Steve Jobs, I mean, computers existed, phones existed, MP3 players existed. And it was how this whole universe of things came together for like, I mean, the greatest breakthrough and one of the greatest breakthrough actually in the history, in modern history is, is the smartphone, right? Mm. Because it is, it is such an incredible tool that is efficient. It helps people. It's a portable office. It's a music player. It's connections to the internet and things like that. All these things, if you break the elements apart, existed somewhere else. And it was just how they were combined in one object how efficient and in the design and many elements, but nothing was new. I mean, again, all this other functions lived well separately. You can say the same for about just anything that is, you know, in the world. I mean, if you just want to open a restaurant, how is that going to be different? Right. If it, like we are still going to need restaurants for like people who enjoy having an outdoor a dining experience is just like how different it is. And also, as we go along, things need 
to adjust and shift. And that's also part of being creative, that you're going to have to pivot many times in your lifetime and in your business and careers need to go along with what's happening. Mm -hmm. And that is part of the evolution that sometimes gets people out of their comfort zone, way too out of their comfort zones, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. there is like, I do this. And in fact, there are studies, surveys that have been conducted by the Small Business Administration. There are these statistics that a very high amount of new businesses fail within the first five years. One of the biggest reasons that they found is because the owners are so rigid in what they want to do that is the thing is sinking and they just, I mean, a simple shift or two or three could have saved them, but they just didn't want to do it, right? Right. And uh, and that is a lack of creative thinking, because if you see that there are opportunities to rebrand or redo or 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 pivot a little bit or, you know, then you should definitely pay attention to the signals that things are not going well. But that's going to happen for every again, like every business will start one way for for, for the folks who are entrepreneurs. They know this, that a businesses start one way and keeps changing and evolving Mm. with time because the circumstances will push it to do that. Well, a word that is, I guess, a cousin of creativity you mentioned earlier, and that's curiosity. Uh, A topic that uh, we discussed in depth on the show here just a few weeks ago uh, related to that. What does it mean to, as you say, reclaim the child's mind? Uh, and, And this reminds me a bit of the study you talked about earlier, whereas these children in the study got older, they became less and less creative. Uh, but children are also the most curious among yes. us, right? <laughs> well, you know, I think that curiosity, as you said, is a cousin, but it is also a part of being creative, right? Mm-hmm. Because when you question things, it opens up the door for you to be able to get more information and a variety of different points of view as well. This is, again, something that is, is we are born with that type of thing. I mean, most kids are curious and they are inquisitive and they just want to see how things work and break things apart and keep asking questions. Why is the sky blue? And, you know, um, I, I love I love this question because it was one of the questions that Leonardo da Vinci asked himself a lot. And so in his notebooks, he had this questions. Why is the sky blue? And this how how curiosity impacts our lives is way much more important than what people give it credit for, because Questioning status quo, questioning processes and systems is the way of it's the is the way of growth, right? And you know, I'm a fan of Musk. What I like about Elon Musk is that's an extraordinarily curious guy, and uh, he's 50 and continues asking questions. And when he had the idea of a SpaceX, it's funny because he was a, and I guess he continues to do this. He was a fan of science fiction novels and books and things like that. And that's where his curiosity comes. And he was like, why is it so absurdly expensive to send astronauts to outer space, a country with as many resources as the United States? I don't know if you know this, but up until five years ago, or even less, us Americans had to pay Russia to send our astronauts to missions because we couldn't do it ourselves, right? So, which is incredible if you think about this, right? Mm. 
And Musk is like, but what's going on? This is just nonsense. So he spent obviously a ridiculous amount of time asking questions and, ha and having some sort of like initial board of advisors. The catch was there is no catch. The catch is that the contractors and subcontractors added so much, so many markups to NASA to put all, everything together, the rockets, the, you know, that it was just ridiculous. And he said, well, what if we don't have all the subcontractors and what if we don't have all the markups? Would it be possible to create, you know, rockets and spaceships to send man to outer space and he did it and he did it and and i think that when you start asking questions why is this so expensive or why is this not working out or if you yourself are you know think like something could be better i mean we have situations where we always think why is this service not better or why i can't find this thing that i is so useful to me and i have to do and improvise and and, and things like that and that is the kind of curiosity that i want to stimulating my readers and mm -hmm. hopefully they will live with this for the rest of their lives. It's, it's like when you see movements or little shifts happening in the margins, right? Or far away from your center, those are extraordinary places to find opportunities for business. When hip hop was created in the 1970s, it was a street parties in the Bronx and houses where people thought it was interesting to combine rap and sample music and, mm. you know, graffiti even and, and DJing and emceeing. And it took some interesting producers from New York City who thought this sounds very cool and different. And I'm curious to know who is creating this interesting sound, right? And so fast forward as 40 years later, hip hop is, you know, what it is. It's, it's a whole industry. It's a lifestyle. It's a look. And so, yes, uh, curiosity, something that the child's mind is the original mind, is the one that God gave us, right? And, you know, when people ask, questions like, or they've asked me, well, what would you tell your 15 year old self? I, I was like, no, what would you tell me? You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> I am always trying to ask the, the child in me to answer my questions or to see the world through that perspective, because we get heartened, we get jaded, we f confirmation bias is a big problem, right? I mean, it's just always finding the theory or the solution or whatever that actually backs up what you think. And this poisons a lot of societies ranging from politics to the way we do things and the divisions that we create that are imposed not by us, but by theories, teachings, barriers that we've built that have nothing to do with who we really are as humans. Curiosity, uh, along with creativity, is something that I want to see more people cultivate. I know for me growing up, I just kind of took things as they were at face value and, and didn't question a lot of things. I thought, well, that is that way because somebody smarter than me has determined that that's the best way it's to be. And, and we can't think like that. We have to be uh, more curious and question more things and more pushback. Um, in, in today's world, uh, Maria, there aren't many times when we're afforded the opportunity for a little silence. We're, we're bombarded with information every day, with messages, etc. And you refer to uh, silence as, I think it's creativity's incubator. How, how so exactly? Well, you know, I devoted an entire chapter to silence because I uh, think that 
yes, what you said, we are bombarded. We are overwhelmed with information. It's on our phones. It follows us everywhere. <laughs> it's and it comes from everywhere. Right. I mean, it's it's uh, it's auditory. It's visual. It's tactile is everything. This was not meant to be. Okay. Uh, in other words, we also have had to have this incredible leap in learning, particularly uh, not my kids, but us, right? I mean, you know, in learning how to live with all this technology. And by the way, it doesn't mean my kids are not affected by this because uh, human beings really were not meant to be stimulated like this constantly and consistently. And, you know, the last time there was an evolution in the brain was, you know, to like millions of years ago, like when we have, you know, it's like slapped, you know, pre-cortal. <laughs> and, and so based on what happened in the past, human beings were not created to be in this level of anxiety and a stimulation. And so I think that back to our own thoughts and selves is very important. And the only way that we found that's possible is through silence, right? Mm. I try to give an, e an easy entryway because if you tell somebody to spend an hour in lotus position, they are going to just shut the fuck and say, this woman's crazy, right? <laughs> and I don't want that either. I think that People have to uh, allow themselves five to 10 minutes of silence every day. And I mean silence and no computer in front of them and no background music, even if it's soft. And yeah, because some people say, but I just sit down there with my music. I said, but that's a, like that's stimulation and yeah. and just go inward and spend, you know, time just with their thoughts. And that's so important. And incubation is one of the faces of creativity. I, you know, I don't follow in my book that kind of the model that has been taught for many years about like what you need to be creative. I just break down different ways that work for me and for others that I have seen and observed throughout my life. Mm. But I think that the incubation effect is the time where you just have been working a lot very hard finding solutions to problems. And then you have to like move away from that problem and let the ideas marinate, if you will, in your head and your brain and come to you. And it doesn't mean that they are going to come during the time you are in silence because that oftentimes doesn't match. Mm. But it means that you do need the time in silence actually to let things settle. It's mental hygiene. People take a shower, <laughs> right? Every day, for, I hope, right? But like, yeah. And it's the same thing with the brain. When you go to sleep, it's one thing. And that obviously, you know, our brains never shut down. They shut down when we die, basically. But when we go to sleep, they keep working. But it, it's a different thing when you are awake and you decide to take a break that involves the silence thing. And so five to 10 minutes a day is about an hour a week if you put it all together. And so that's what I, I recommend to people. And obviously, meditation whatever form you you want to use or again just sitting in silence for five minutes is a form of meditation it doesn't have to be with incense inside of grottos with you know <laughs> red lights and you know all those things are pretty but they, that's not necessary you know our ancestors spent a lot of time in silence because they didn't need to be on podcasts. They didn't have to be on Instagram. They didn't need to be tweeting. They didn't need to, uh, you know, have all these things happening. And you don't have to move, you know, to a farm. And no, no, I mean, it, it's just being in silence is, is a birthright. It's, it's something that you must 
do. And it's so simple, Jeff, but people are not aware of the massive shifts that can happen in your ideas and in your creative thinking if you allow yourself to be in silence for a bit. And I think one of the places where folks get tripped up, and you you referenced this, is thinking that the epiphany comes during the silence. That is rarely ever the case. So I appreciate you pointing that out. You know, I, I, silence, intuition, those things go very hand in hand. And mm-hmm. I gave a whole guide for people to ask questions to their intuition, right? Because it exists. Every human being has an, an intuitive part that knows mm-hmm. things. Uh, it's not woo. It's uh, it is you know how we are hardwired. The the intuition is always right. What's wrong is your interpretation, actually, because it, <laughs> it is. I mean, is the yeah. point is that because we have we live in a human you know experience, we have a lot of biases and things like that. And when you ask questions to your intuition, it may be that you may get an answer, but for the most part. It just doesn't come that, at that time because, again, the brain is hard at work trying to connect the dots and the experiences of finding, you know, those solutions and bringing them to, to you for your benefit. I mean, the thing is, we have everything to succeed at this ideas, and uh, but we just have to allow them. We have to allow them to come. I like that phrase you used earlier uh, that I want to write down, mental hygiene. I think that's important. And I do want to say, I want to confess, as someone who works from home, I do not take a shower every day. I just want you to know that. (laughs) (laughs) I just need to get that off my chest, Maria. Oh, my God. But at least we're remote right now. So (laughs) do whatever you want, Jeff. It's fine. You look good, though. Thank you. Oh, I have a, a couple of questions I want to ask you, Maria, not directly related to your book. Before I do that, though, anything else from the book you want to make sure we walk away with? No, I think we've covered a lot. And I think it's uh, it's a very fun and actionable book, though, because I made sure that at the end of each chapter, which is something that almost every reader has reference to, people have gotten in touch with me and their reviews that I read on Amazon say that they have really gotten a lot of benefit from having those sections at the end of each chapter that gives people right. actionable steps and exercises and prompts to materialize what they've read in that chapter. One of my goals is that people don't just have a book in their hands, but a manual that brings the content alive. Mm. I see you have 117 ratings, so good on you. That's great. <laughs> That's yeah, awesome. I mean, it's still a new book. Yeah, five stars. Wow. Well, awesome. you know. <laughs> Over the course of your career, uh, what would you say have been some of the most impactful books that you've read? Well, I really loved The 48 Laws of Power by Robert Greene mm-hmm. because I, as you saw in my book, I absolutely love history. Mm-hmm. And I think that he does a, a brilliant job in connecting this super interesting stories about you know, emperors and artists and kings and queens and how they used power to find their ways. I mean, it's a very Machiavellian book too, you know, Machiavellian, but it's uh, it's applicable to modern day, obviously. I also loved the biography of Steve Jobs that Walter Isaacson wrote. Mm. I think Isaacson is an incredible researcher and writer and he goes deep he also wrote Leonardo da Vinci's which is incredible it's mm. an extraordinary book 
you know, I, I mostly read nonfiction because my fiction fix comes from film. Mm. So I really love big screen movie theater thing and uh, a lot of like in that way <laughs> yeah and i i read a lot of nonfiction because i love to learn and to keep myself updated i wish i had more time to do you know more reading <laughs> but uh, those books have been have been important to me i think also brene brown's books are so simple yet it's so difficult sometimes for us to articulate what she's saying right mm. about vulnerability and, and guilt and shame. She just really gives us permission to be who we are without having, you know, all this fake mm. impositions. And I also love Adam Grant's books. He's an incredible dude. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I think also he, he's, he has the same, you know, style of like, you know, I'm gathering complex information or things that seem complex and I'm just giving them to you in a way that you can understand them and a lot of, you know, storytelling and anecdotal information. And some, and obviously as a researcher, he's backing up things with right. uh, important data. Dan Pink is awesome. Malcolm Gladwell. I mean, all these guys are just, you know, <laughs> uh, incredible writers and, yeah. um, and they put together information and things that are enjoyable. The point is to learn, man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's why you have this podcast, right? I mean, it's, it's like, as you you lead because you have something to say and because you've learned things and because you think that you can make a meaningful impact in a meaningful difference right. in people's lives with you know with what you write and uh, and readers end up interpreting what you've put out in the world in whatever way helps them. This last question that I want to ask you um, is related to sort of this idea of personal knowledge management. I just started uh, similar to, to what you began doing years ago. I, I just started a new class slash cohort, taking a group of people over a five-week period through uh, understanding uh, personal knowledge management more clearly, just how to better collect or capture notes from the content they consume, how to better organize those notes, contribute to those notes, uh, you know, taking somebody else's thoughts and turning them into original ideas. And I want to know a little bit about your practices with regard to the books you read and, and note taking. And, and I said these last couple of questions were not going to be related to your book, but I did notice that chapter 20 covers this thing called the analog method and, and, and using your hands to access your brain. Maybe, maybe that's going to impact your answer here, but I'd just love to know some of your thoughts on, on that and how you, how you manage that. Yes. Well, I do have a variety of different systems because, again, like I'm not married to just one thing, but I'm going to answer the question first with the note taking. We've lost a lot of our ability to write longhand because our computers make things very easy yeah. and our phones, obviously. And there is also a, a very important connection that has to do with motor skills, but it has to do with taking a pause. Because mm. when you are writing something on a notebook, you have almost like an obligation not to do anything else, if that makes sense, right? And so it is that moment in time where you are just focused on what you're doing and letting your thoughts flow. I do get and find a lot of solutions when I'm writing. And honestly, I, I try to do it every day, but I should really do it, spend even more time because... I find when I'm writing, it's almost like my brain is commanding the whole thing and is giving me all these answers. So mm. I, I strongly recommend it. I 
back up my claim with studies also that are mentioned in my book. And almost all the most brilliant people I've met, they are always having like notebooks with them and keeping notes. So I do have, I have notebooks with me and some, some of them are for some things and some of them are, you know, it, it depends. I like the ones with no lines. I like those small skin notebooks with no lines because <laughs> I just I just want to go whatever way I can. Right. Uh, that That's one of my great recommendations is to really keep a notebook and, and to if you can spend also 10 minutes a day writing longhand, it's like emptying out your mind. Mm. Maybe that's your time of silence, although I, I, I wouldn't say it's the same, but that is a, <laughs> it is an alternative. Right? right. And my other system for note for books and note taking is I do use Kindle a lot mm. because it makes my life so much easier in the sense of. If I'm looking for a particular quote or word or whatever, I just can't open that book and search the word and mm-hmm. find my answer very quickly. And so I, it's not necessarily a system that I can say, well, this works, but, you know, it, it works for me. But I, I just want to say that as much as I like analog, it's not necessarily that I go always for physical books. I love right. a physical book. I love a hardcover or, or a paperback or whatever, but I try to go with a lot of ebooks because mm. they work for me finding them super quickly i have them on my phone mm. i may have a thousand books on that thing believe right. it or not thank <laughs> you steve jobs <laughs> and 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 bezos right but um yeah. not every book you're always going to find on a on an ebook old right. books you have to buy but I, what it makes for me super easy is that with the search feature i can really find what i want rather quickly and uh that's uh it's a it's godsend well our time has gone far too quickly in my opinion yes <laughs> uh, her name is maria brito and the book is how creativity rules the world the art and business of turning your ideas into gold maria thank you so much for being here really appreciated your time thank you jeff and thank you everybody who stayed with us i hope you enjoyed and i would love for you to get really creative what a fun conversation and a great read too i hope you'll check it out i've got a link to it in the show notes page for this episode as well as the books and authors maria recommended you'll find all that at read to lead podcast.com slash 432 for episode 432 There you can also find a link to get on the notifications list for my next note-making mastery cohort so you're first to find out when the next class is available. Another way to sign up is simply to go directly to readtoleadpodcast.com slash list. And depending on when you're hearing this episode, there may still be time for you to get in on the August 2022 cohort. One more time, readtoleadpodcast.com slash list. You know, it wasn't until I learned how to better manage the notes that I took that I was ever able to get to the point where I could write a book. I tried for years, but every time I did, it started with staring at a blank page or a blank screen. I don't have that problem anymore. That's one of the things I love so much about note making mastery. And coincidentally, our guest next week is Honoré Porter, and she's going to be talking to us about book writing. She's got a book out called You Must Write a Book. We'll learn from her all about the process next week. I hope you'll come back. Well, that does it for this week. Thanks for being here. Until next time, remember, leaders read and readers lead.
Save big money and transform your home with new appliances now at Menards. We offer the lowest prices and the largest in-stock appliance selection ready to take home today. Check out top appliance brands, including KitchenAid, Maytag, Whirlpool, Amana, and Criterion. Upgrade your home and save big money on new appliances at Menards. Shop our entire selection of appliance options online today at Menards.com. Save big money. 